0: Hello and welcome to Talking Spirits Podcast, episode number 18. First off, I want to say a huge thank you to the many people who commented and sent so many beautiful messages after the last episode with German First Call bassist Klaus Fischer. Klaus and I are both very happy to know that you are enjoying our conversation. This last episode also made it possible for the Talking Spirits Podcast to hit the podcast charts in Germany. We entered at rank 7 in the music interviews category and even entered the overall music category at rank 96. So a huge thank you goes out once more to Klaus Fischer for being my guest and tremendously helping to spread the word. My today's guest, Linus Klausenitzer, is a bassist as well. As some of you might know, my musical roots are in metal music. And for a long time already, I really liked Linus' fretless bass work with the German progressive death metal band Obscura. Linus is actually not only an amazing bassist, but a really great guy as well, so I was very happy when he accepted my invitation to join me for a chat. We hope you are enjoying it as well, and I will be back at the end of the episode. Hi Linus, welcome to the Talking Spirits podcast. I'm very happy and glad that you are taking the time to be my guest today.
1: Hey, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, likewise, man. Yeah. So maybe we start with the most obvious thing right now. So since I think eight months, we are in a pandemic, um, global pandemic crisis, which is affecting the life of musicians in many ways. And for the last couple of years, you have been touring a lot, traveling a lot and so I would like to know how are you today, and how how are you dealing with the the effects of all of it right now?
1: Uh, well, actually, uh, I think I'm doing better than a lot of other people, uh, just because of the fact that I uh, um, that I have a side job as an IT guy, and that brings in the money for uh, yeah for my living, for paying the rent and all that stuff. So. Uh, I'm kind of uh, glad that I have that side job um, that saves me right now. But uh, yeah, of course, I I play concerts since, uh, I don't know, I'm a teenager. And it's the first summer uh, that I don't play any concerts. It's very awkward. Uh, But yeah, on the other hand, I also uh, uh, like the band that I toured most with was was Obscura. And I just uh, left that band in April. So it happened more or less uh, when the when the lockdown um, started so uh, yeah and building up anything anyway something new right now which takes a lot of time preparing sitting at home writing songs thinking about a band logo uh, different concepts so it's a lot of work we have to do before we can enter the stage with this band actually so uh, yeah in that sense it's not the worst timing for that corona crisis
0: yeah i'm, I'm glad to hear that because you know with many of our colleagues does not look that well and they are in a yeah, very different situation. So it's great when somebody can say, it's a hard time, but I'm doing well, like you said, now. Cool. So let, let's maybe go back in time for a little bit, if you don't mind. Okay. Your path in music started very early, if I'm informed correctly. Your parents mm-hmm. are both musicians and you started playing piano and trumpet at a very early age before arriving at the base at the age of 15. So... My question would be like: When you remember your beginnings in music, what what, what comes to mind? What do you think of? And also, you know, how how did you come to the bass and decide that you want to be a bass player in the end?
1: Um, well, very well informed. Uh, thank you for doing that work. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the story of. I don't know my musical past is very comparable to a lot of other musicians that are uh in my scene in the progressive kind of scene um yeah my music uh, musical parents have of course a huge influence there was always uh classical music running in our house and uh, my father took me to concerts very early on they tried to teach me instruments i started with uh with a violin but i after uh i I started with four and I went to one or two uh, violin lessons and I was just freaking out there. I was running through the room and I had like a little violin that I still have somewhere and I was actually hitting it on my head and uh, screaming and I I was like, it it was not my thing.
0: Very difficult instrument to play, violin.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's not an instrument that's like uh, what I love about the bass, you take it in your hand and you Make the first note and it sounds like a bass. You, it doesn't sound horrible, but there are so many instruments that you take in your hand and they sound horrible if you don't learn. If to you play don't have the technique, yeah, if you don't yeah. have the technique, your violin sounds absolutely horrible if you don't have some practice. Uh, and the same with trumpet. Actually, I learned trumpet later, but I kind of like this. Uh, um, I, don't, I I can't remember why I, I liked that as a child, but uh, somehow music was there. And I said, okay, let's try this. And I played basketball and did different things. It was just one one thing in the list I, I had interest in. And my parents fortunately had uh, saw my t- talent in music and put me on a musical, uh, musical school. And there I had to play a classical instrument. And uh, that was first trumpet. No, first piano and then trumpet, I think and i play trumpet in a big band and uh, that was already uh, very much fun because you know how it is as a musician it's amazing to uh, like this this feeling of a team it's like when you have some uh, i know teammates in a in a sport team or something it's it's just great when you i don't know work on something together as a band and that's the same what happened with that big band and we went to i don't know um rehearsal weekends together and those kind of experiences were for sure uh, something that I that influenced me a lot and yeah and then at some point I got a, I had to get bracelet because my teeth were uh, were a mess and unfortunately I had to go away from the trumpet at that point I was a teenager and I saw my first Iron Maiden VHS it's life after death VHS a friend showed me and I stopped listening to jazz and was a super metalhead. Uh, I, I stopped all my other hobbies and it, it, like metal was my new thing. And uh, yeah, so the timing was perfect. I, I was actually super happy about that fact that <laughs> I couldn't play trumpet anymore and that I finally can play bass, what I was looking forward to. And my father bought me a Fender Jazz Bass uh, and he said, that this was not a, a lucky bottle from a, from a colleague of him and He told me that if I play a bass guitar, I really need to practice. And uh, yeah, there was also something that motivated me, the pressure. Um, Yeah, and then I I fell in love with that instrument super much. And I don't know, that was, for me, really, it's like, it's a cliche as a metal bass player, but Steve Harris made a big difference for me. And that was the first moment when I, I don't know, was super on fire with that whole music uh, scene. And I was really... I don't know, the the, the passion of music got me me there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was kind of similar, you know, when I, yeah, I mean, I started playing bass like when I was 12, Mm. let's say, and before that, I played uh, classical guitar and piano. But when I, when I, I was always attracted to the bass, And when I touched bass for the first time, it was, uh, I knew, I immediately knew, okay, that's it. And then... You know when I when I really got into metal, that was where, where. Same with me. I didn't. You know everything else which I like to do, like reading books or whatever, it just stopped at that moment. And then you know it was it. So you said you mentioned Steve Harris, yeah, which makes sense because you know I mean he's still after all those years. He's a great player, who also has a very original style, an original sound of of playing bass. But uh were there you know other bass players who influenced you or other bands which which you love to listen to
1: Yeah I mean I, I grew up in Bavaria on the countryside where there is uh, I don't know there are not a lot of cool people hanging out listening to interesting progressive records so I started with a very uh, with very mainstream metal bands and uh, I listened to Manowar a lot when I was 14 15 uh, and, and actually now looking back to those times, uh, uh, I still think they have a lot of great records and especially Joey DiMayo is a very, like the bass player Joey Di is a very um, unique bass player. He also tried to uh, bring in a total different bass sounds to the scene and uh, I appreciate that. Still a lot of great bass player. If you listen to songs like Guyana, uh, it's incredible what he does on the bass besides his ego... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things that a lot of people like to talk about but uh yeah I, i've found that incredible um yeah and uh i mean in the 90s metal was super unpopular uh but still uh, so i don't know I, I was not that gothic kind of person i i didn't like new metal i didn't like limbiscuit and all that kind of music So I was not so much into the slab bass and metal. So I had to look back on the 70s and 80s. So it was Giesel, Butler and those kind of uh, uh, persons that influenced me more.
0: Yeah, but from, you know, from that point to, you know, to the rather progressive styles and also to playing fretless bass, which you do Mm -hmm. a lot, Mm -hmm. I could imagine, you know, it's quite a journey from from the rather traditional styles to the modern progressive. So how, how did that happen for you?
1: Uh, yeah, when I finished school, I went uh, on a music college, and there I r- really wanted to push myself to learn. Like I, w- I was not at a very high level on the bass, so I pushed myself to do everything possible to learn. And uh, back then, there was no possibility to have Skype lessons with amazing artists, so I just learned it uh, uh, the rough way on stage, and I. I- played at four bands at the time and i had sometimes gigs where i had to ask the guitarist before the uh, before the song what's what tonality this song is in. so (laughs) i was really uh pushing myself to my limits and it was like really uh i had some some gigs that i was i don't know (laughs) i was really on my edge of okay okay this is still fine like uh oh, shit, tomorrow I have the next gig. It was really unlimited. I played everything from a a lot of cover band gigs that brought in money to folk music bands. Even I I did a lot of different things. And uh, out of nothing, another metalhead on that music college um, asked me if I want to play in a side project uh, of him, which was super bizarre, progressive metal. It was very, very bizarre. And I Uh, I don't know, I was not very emotionally touched listening to it, but it was so awkward that I said, okay, this, I don't know, it's a challenge. I I, I do this. And uh, before I was mostly listening to power metal and, I don't know, melodic metal and mainstream metal. And then like this whole dissonant, brutal, super extreme, ugly sounding music uh, uh touched me uh, very much when i had the first rehearsal with that band and from there on i kept on playing in that progressive uh, uh genre and uh yeah that was also the scene that in the end later brought me to uh, uh obscura and most of my other bands that i played in those contexts. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah but was it at that time that you started playing fretless
1: Yeah, I mean, at the music college times, I had to play fretless here and there. There were some pop songs we played uh, in a band, and I played a little bit of fretless. But I didn't even own a fretless bass when Obscura gave me the call back then. Um, They asked me to play uh, um, two tours, and I actually had to buy a super cheap bass on eBay, a six-string fretless bass. To to, I I, I like how much time did I have? I liked uh, a month or so to learn the songs, and so I had to buy a a bass very fast. And uh, uh, yeah. Just to uh, and I said, yeah, fretless is no problem. But actually, I played maybe two songs in my life before with fretless, so yeah, that was quite a challenge.
0: (laughs) A hard start, let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, if we talk about metal music, uh, the bass is very often rather in the background, and you actually you really notice it when it's not playing anymore. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) with with lots of bands, it's like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, with the bands you play in. The bass is very present and prominent in the mix. And as we already mentioned, you play lots of fretless. So, you know, your approach is a little bit different than the approach of most metal bassists. So how would you describe it? You know, for, if you look at what you do, how, how would you describe it? And also, especially on the fretless part, you know, are there certain bass players who who influenced you in you know i'm playing fretless inside mm. of a metal context
1: um yeah well uh when i started to play in oscura i had the big benefit that i was thrown into the situation and i had to deal with it somehow so i had to create my own techniques and work work it out in that way and that already gave me a certain i don't know unconventional way of uh, uh of playing the fretless in metal also and it gave me also i don't know like that, uh, I, I enjoyed it very much from the beginning on, so uh, uh, I, I think that made my playing kind of unique. And then uh, another thing that is really helpful and that I would recommend to every bass player is uh, getting one band or one project and working with this band for a very long time because I I started playing in Obscura and I had to play the material from my on the previous bass player for three years before I made my first record with Obscura. So every night I was, we toured our asses off. So we uh, played those, uh, every night we played shows and every night I tried to uh, play the bass lines a little bit differently. And uh, um, I don't know, it was, I had to, when you are on stage, you have so much concentration and so much focus on what you play that you would never have if you're alone trying to develop something new. At home, so uh, I think that led to something that uh, I don't know. I concentrated on this one thing for so much time that somehow I got my own uh, style that way, which uh, I'm very happy with because that is very, very hard to achieve. I find.
0: Yeah, I agree. But but did you, for instance, I mean, in metal, there were some players who already started playing fretless in in the metal and also in the progressive death metal, let's say one would be Steve DiGiorgio yeah. and the other one would be Sean Malone, who played oh, yeah. uh, on, on the Cynic albums. Yeah. Did you also listen to those guys?
1: Uh Yes, they were not my favorite bands, but as a bass player, I uh, really adored them both, especially Sean Malone is still actually my favorite fretless metal bass player.
0: Uh, yeah, Same here. Same yeah, with me. <laughs>
1: incredible, that guy. And <coughs> Uh, what I find very great about him, he has, uh, I'm like I saw myself always as a metal bass player and I like to hit the bass very hard. Uh, and Sean Malone has more that kind of uh, Gary Willis approach that he yeah. plays very, uh, not very high volume, but he turns the bass volume very uh, very much up. But with his fingers, he doesn't make a lot of noise. So he has a lot of uh, possibilities uh, possibilities with dynamic and that's something I, I love super much. And every little change that he does in his uh, uh, dynamic playing, you can hear, and it's giving, and it's giving it so much character. I, I love that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, and if I read some somewhere, I read the story that, you know, when Cynic was recording the first album mm-hmm. at Morrisound, that he, he, you know, he was just working in the studio as a technician mm-hmm. and he played bass, but he had nothing to do with metal, you know, like he, he was rather like, were very much influenced by Jaco Pastorius and, mm-hmm. and was playing jazz and fusion. Yeah. And they so they needed somebody who could play bass for the album. And then somebody said, hey, Sean Malone, you know, the technician at our studio, he's a killing bass player. Maybe you can have him. And then if you think about this album, I mean, I remember when I heard it first time back in the 90s already. Yeah. And, and still, I mean, even, like, close to 30 years after it has been recorded, it's like mind-blowing you know especially yeah. i mean the whole music I, I loved it always but especially the bass you know it's like <laughs> so I, yeah. I can agree with you on this
1: yeah actually in the the, the first obscura recordings i ever did was a uh, the, the kind of compilation and we made three uh, um cover songs on that album and uh how could i from cynic was one of them so yeah <laughs> you can see like we we tried to bring our influences in and we a death song we also played and uh and a song from Atheist, yeah. But yeah, so that's uh, was also super fun to play.
0: Yeah, but also very challenging. I mean, yeah, it's uh, like, <laughs> it's very hard to figure out everything. You know, the the style of music you play, you know, and also your style of playing is very challenging and demands lots mm-hmm. of practice as well, yeah. you know. So, do you still practice a lot? And how do you approach, uh, like, the technical element of of it all, and also like memorizing the complex song structures?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, like, uh, I think a lot of a lot of it has to do with pressure. Like, really, that okay, we have that tour in a month. I, I really need to learn this now. Like that that kind of pressure always helps me, uh, and deadlines, and I'm very german i like deadlines and uh, i hate being de- uh, late for deadlines so yeah so that always helped me a lot uh, memorizing is a, a very tough thing because it's really there are not a lot of repetitions it's not that you learn a song in an hour that's very true so um uh, one thing i absolutely uh that brought always problems to me is when i, uh, I read sheet music and i learn it from there then i c- I have super big problems remembering those songs. So I always try to... Uh, to uh, actually, I have tab books for my own music. There are two tab books from Oscura, but I don't use them uh, much <laughs> when I uh, try to remember those songs. I actually try to listen to my bass lines that I played and I just took the, the bond from the bass track and uh, tried to, uh, to listen to that, to remember that, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't practice too much recently. I What I practice more right now is uh, composing basically, because we build up Obsidius right now. And that is what I focus on most. And uh, the other musicians in that band are excellent musicians and super nerds. And they have uh, very uh, challenging ideas also for com- for composing. And uh, I'm not very used to play quintuplets in metal and things like that. And that is quite a challenge. And uh, yeah, just by learning the songs that we're just recording right now for demos and pre-production is That is already uh, quite a journey and brings me very much forward on the instrument there.
0: Yeah, but but also like, you know, the physical aspect, like let's say you are going out on tour and you have to play Mm. every night, you know, challenging stuff, which, you know, and if you play a show like every night of let's say 90 minutes with this type of music, Mm. which is a very physical thing. So how, you know, how do you deal with this with the physical pressure and also like you know many people playing that challenging music have at some point get problems with with their hands and stuff so you know how is this
1: yeah i was never a very technical uh, i never had a very technical approach of learning things so i always had this uh, okay i need to sit down i learned this until then and then i uh, I, I i was never the guy that uh, sat down okay i have have now two hours. I will play that one, uh, uh, like I will, uh, I don't know, practice this one scale now for two hours. And I, I never made it so mechanically, my practicing. Uh, so that's why I think everything happened very naturally. And uh, I, I think my way of playing and how I uh, uh I don't know, give myself some breaks it happens very naturally. So I never had problems with my hands. And, and a lot of people in that genre that I play in have problems actually with focal dystonia, uh, like uh, this sickness where you, I don't know, where your hands may make problems and your nerves make problems and your hands don't do what you want to do. Uh, but yeah, I was just very lucky with that. And uh, I very early on, I also uh, recognized that. Uh, this typical guitar doubling thing that you do in metal uh, uh, didn't work out for me because uh, <laughs> uh, like the string makes big movements when you, when you hit it hard and I like to hit it hard because of, I don't know, there's Steve Harris influence that I have. I like the song when the fret, uh, when the strings hit the fretboard and, and that doesn't happen if you play soft. And I don't know, it's that yeah. approach. If I, if my body is full of adrenaline on stage, I don't want to play like a, a jazz bassist. So um, yeah, those kind of things, uh, uh, yeah, makes playing always very uh, natural for me. But what I have sometimes problems with are my shoulders. Actually, that's something I. Uh, I if you sleep in a tour bus and you have very thin mattresses, and uh, you have a very heavy six string bass on your shoulders every night, that is sometimes that uh, that is something that brings problems to me. But, uh, but that's basically it, actually. And uh, yeah, what I wanted to say before was uh, I don't play a lot of notes with my right hand. I, I, um, I, I don't try to uh, copy the same speed as the guitarist, and that's something that makes also a huge difference, I think, because, uh, like I said, the strings move so fast that uh, uh, it's very hard to play that precise if you play very hard, and uh, also doesn't sound very well because you. Yeah, that's uh, what I wanted
0: to say. What many thinks it makes no sense in, musically.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you have, uh, if you want to hear the bass, uh, the bass note, and if you play a bass note, you want to have that powerful feeling coming from from in, from below and giving even in metal that groove feeling and if you're like maybe <laughs> you have that kind of <laughs> playing all the time you don't have that it's just some some noise and it doesn't sound powerful anymore but uh, yeah. Yeah, so I just if often the guitarists play sixteenth note I play eighth notes or even quarter notes it's way yeah. more powerful and there's a very great effect still
0: yeah it ma- makes it also
1: easier like it's not a, a total uh, I'm not killing myself with my
0: right hand yeah i i i can relate to what you say but uh you know i i think with many players nowadays who are in this type of music especially like the younger guys i mean youtube is practically full mm. you know with the musicians who are like playing fast and crazy shit but mm. uh with many, I get sometimes, you know, many I get the impression that, you know, it's all about the, just the technique and being fast and flashy. But, uh, and that's what I, what I love about your playing, you know, that you can feel that it's not just, just about being fast and being a badass on the bass, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, there's a, also like very, like a lot of taste and, and feeling and also groove, you know, so. You know, the, I, I always think, of course, you know, you need to have your technique in check and for what you want to do. But there's t- so many more levels mm. on which music is happening. You know, there's also a spiritual, emotional side, you know, and, yeah. and all of this. And so uh, how, how do you see, you know, this type? You know, I mean, like the af- aspects of music, which are not only technical
1: yeah, well, first of all, thanks. It's a very uh, big compliment for me. Um, since uh, music is something emotional, uh, I always try to bring that aspect in on purpose. And then my, with my first band, I did it already. And I like that Steve Harris, for example, th- like that whole approach of not copying the guitars um, all the time forces you to do something else here and there. And then um, there, you have a lot of mid frequencies free very often because the guitars are very low and you have the mid frequencies and if you play like melodic lines it makes mostly sense that you try to play something emotional or to support the emotional uh, aspect of that part and that's how i do it uh, i would say but yeah um I think it has a lot to do with the way I grew up. If uh, I, I learned to play metal on stage, more or less, I had a, a cover band that I played almost ten years with, and we played on biker parties, and I played Maiden, Metallica, and all that stuff. And we we loved that energy on stage with those bikers. It was a very raw thing. It wasn't an amazing sounding band, but it was so rough, and that energy and adrenaline was kicking in, and I loved that so much. Uh, and that influenced me still a lot with you. That's why uh, when you saw me with Obscura Life on Stage, I, I'm jumping around a lot and I'm smiling like an idiot. And that's very atypical actually, for definitely Nettle. But it's true. For me, that, that joy is, I don't know, very, very important for me. And uh, I think if you, uh, I, I don't even blame the young generation. They If they grew up playing w- uh, with themselves all the time, uh, alone at home, in front of a, a camera only, it's where do you get that feeling from? It's yeah. you have more of that kind of uh sound aesthetics that you work on uh more than uh, like I don't know working on the adrenaline of your music. It's more between yeah. just the beauty of the sound aesthetic that you can work on.
0: Yeah and, and that's what you what you said earlier, you know, how, how how important it was for you to 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 make the experience of playing music together with other people, with yeah. other musicians, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I it was the same for me. And I also would say like you know, with all the different things I have played and done over the years, yeah. uh, I, I most I learned really learned the most in playing together with with other musicians. Yeah, and, and, if, you know, and
1: if you only listen, uh, watch YouTube videos all day and you watch the same YouTube videos as all other bassists to learn the bass, you will sound the same. It's uh, it's another factor. And if you play, if you don't learn bass only from other bass players. But if you learn it on stage, being in a band, you have to improvise and to be creative. It, there is no other choice. So uh, yeah, I can only, I mean, <laughs> recommending that right now is, uh, is kind of uh, awkward because it's simply not possible to uh, learn things on stage. But uh, yeah, maybe uh, if you are a bass player and you listen to this, maybe it's a good idea to at least compose with other musicians right now, or I don't know, Work with one of those uh, uh, softwares that uh, uh, give you the opportunity to play uh, uh, without uh, um, latency together with other musicians right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, luckily, there's lots of possibilities. And I would also say, you know, I mean, actually, it's, it's so amazing when you come together with other guys. Uh, and everybody, because everybody has a different feel, different perspective, different things they have found out. And, and so it's like that, that's to me, like, is one of the most beautiful things about music that we can learn so much. And actually, this never stops, you know, yeah. like the learning experience will stay with us as long as we, we do it.
1: Yeah. And I'm very often very lucky because I play with musicians that are better than me, so
0: <laughs> same <here.
1: laughs>
0: yeah 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 i mean actually that that's the best way to to learn and and also i i when i even also when I was younger, you know I always liked to expose myself in this kind of situations and and there were lots of uh, situations where it was like somebody asked me to play with them, and I actually was a way to too high for me you know but i always said yes because i knew if i you know i can learn and if i so just jump in the water and try to n- not to go down you know yeah
1: and the good <laughs> thing is that was also pre-youtube time so if you fucked up something nobody cared <laughs> and so uh, the mistakes is what makes you
0: learn yeah yeah it, it's it's a part of it definitely yes yeah. but like the instruments you play nowadays uh-huh. The basses you play nowadays, yeah. they are also rather unusual, let's say. Could you share a little bit about the basses you play right now?
1: Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I um, maybe I got to say that I love uh, having instruments that are not... St- I, everything that is not standard is interesting to me because I, I know there are very many basses that say uh, uh well, what can you do in a six-string bass uh, uh, that you can't do on a four-string base? And the f- a four-string base gives you so many options ar- uh, already that you don't need anything else. And uh, if you can play like, uh, I don't know, James Jameson, then uh, uh, you're a master already. If you can, uh, uh, like you cannot get to the same level, so work on that instead of, uh, uh, I don't know, working on a seven-string bass. And I I have a very different opinion to that approach because I won't ever be a James Jameson and uh, I won't ever be Steve Harris. So the only thing (laughs) that I can work on is myself. And uh, being myself, I like to do things differently. And if there is an instrument that most of the people don't play and I see, oh, I can do weird stuff maybe with it, then I will try. And uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes not. So yeah, that's basically my approach. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, behind me, I have a, a, a list of bases from, I don't know, four-string bass to a five-string bass, six-string bass, seven-string bass. And what I like a lot is also uh, those hybrid bases that Ibanez are, uh, um, worked out. It's called Ashula. It's a hybrid base between a fretted and a fretless bass, and that's very exciting. and makes you very creative. And they also made a six string, uh, seven-string bass a couple of years ago that I enjoyed playing with because it really, the more options you have, the more ways to be creative uh you have so yeah i enjoy that, and i i love ibanez because of that reason because they are uh, uh, uh they're not like a. Uh, I don't know if you work with a boutique your know, base company that i don't know it take five years to build your base and you make the specific <laughs> things uh, that you have in mind they i don't know it, it's uh, it of, it's of course has its values but uh the cool thing about ibanez is that they makes cheap standard bases that sound great for beginners, but also they make weird experiments with that workshop series. They they really try to make bring in new, uh, I don't know, they bring in tools to be creative. And that's what I enjoy a lot. And the, I don't know, I, I go to the Ibanez headquarters and there is another uh, a very unusual base standing there. I take it and it sometimes helps me sometimes not, but it's giving me uh, a good, I don't know, platform to be creative with.
0: Yeah. I see, but let's say like on the seventh string, do you have a, mm. do you have a an, an additional high string, or yeah. is it an additional? So it's like an F F string.
1: Exactly, it's a, a higher string. Uh, I gotta admit that I, I got it uh, in a fretless custom version, uh, but normally it came uh, being a fretted bass, and that uh, uh, makes more sense actually with a seventh string bass because the higher you go, the harder it is to deal with uh, intonation, intonation so, and uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, I mean, also guitarists uh, tell me, "Why do you need a seven-string bass that goes up so high?" If, like that's the, like you, you're not a guitarist, and yes, I'm not a guitarist. But a seven-string bass sounds completely different in the higher regions than, the than
0: a guitar. It's just a complete
1: yeah. different sound. It's also like if you have a seven or eight-string guitar, it doesn't sound like a bass. It's a complete different sound. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and if the guitarists go down, why can't I go up with a bass? Also, sometimes yeah, it's, like it's just giving you more opportunities and. Uh I like that approach and uh, i mean that's a thing of metal music, but also in other genres like jazz, for example, you can use a seven string also uh, to play chords uh and uh, for soloing it's very uh yeah Versa- versatile versatile yeah.
0: versatile yeah yeah but uh, and the hybrid bass you mentioned it has a couple of fretless strings and a couple of fretted right.
1: Yeah, they're, they're talking specifically about that Adventist Schuller bass, there are uh, like, uh, I think they had two versions. The first one was a, a white bass having uh, four fretted strings and two fretless strings above. But uh, um, yeah, I, it was cool to experiment with that back then, but I didn't dig the uh, sound so much of the bass itself. And a couple of years ago, they had an updated version of it. It's in a uh, uh, different colors darker darker red colors and black and uh it has um let me think four fretted strings and three fretless strings and uh the cool thing about it is that on the fretless part you have a piazza pickup also so you have like the uh, difference between those two sounds that you have in one bass is very very extreme and it's uh um it's very cool you can uh you, you can use it in a very different uh, in very different ways. You don't need to use the tuning that is on the base that comes from the factory. But uh, anyway, so you can use it as a four string uh, tuning, and uh, uh, the fretless tunings normally have like A D G, like the high three strings from a, fret, a, a normal uh, four string bass. Uh, those fretless strings have. But you can do whatever you want with it so you can make like six string tuning out of it or a seven string tuning out of it you just put different strings on the bass and you make different tunings and then you can play fretted with a uh, with the low strings uh, uh very heavily and then you can sing with a fretted bass in parts that are more open it's very cool
0: yeah you already mentioned that you played uh, in the german progressive death metal band obscura mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, I think you started playing there in 2011 Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it's uh, you know and you have been part of this band for like nine years close Mm -hmm. to nine years and you did uh, play on the albums and you guys did a lot of touring as well you know worldwide touring and so in retrospect how would you describe this experience
1: Uh, well first of all in the beginning i was very Shocked how popular this kind of complex music can be. Uh, all my complex bands that I had before were super nerdy bands. We had uh, horrible underground labels that I don't know didn't promote the album, went bankrupt uh, bankrupt after two years. There was no possibility to buy albums anymore. It was, I don't know, it was always a hard fight. And um people didn't give it a lot of attention. And then Obscura came up and they had success. I mean, I didn't understand it until I've understood the way that, uh, uh, virtuos music go viral on the internet. So that first song, uh, "Anti Cosmic Overload, they came out from that band, uh, was going through the roof. People, people loved it and it was shared a lot. So yeah, it's like, you know how the internet works You make something extreme and people share it. And uh, back then that was a pretty new thing in metal. And, uh, yeah, that kind of style, uh, Went big that time, and uh, um, I was lucky to be in that scene. And I toured with them very early on a lot in the States because that's where this kind of, like maybe some listeners don't know this term, it's called technical death metal, What Obscura plays uh, the scene. And this is mostly popular in North America, in Canada and the US.
0: So yeah.
1: we toured with the, it- in the US, yeah.
0: And especially remarkable, I think, you know, is what you just said—is that obscure as a German band, you know, and yeah. most, like, many of the bands who are like really big in this type of music are from the states. So,
1: yeah, that's very true. But the uh, origin of um, technical death metal comes actually from a band called Necrophagist, and which is also a, a German band, actually founded by a, a Turkish guitarist. Uh, and yeah, that was mostly the f- first band. It's still like the legendary band that uh, yeah, had actually uh, two band members that later uh, left Nico and uh, and yeah, made Obscura what it is, actually. Like, yeah. Obscura had an album out before uh, Cosmogenesis with its single Anti Cosmic Overload I was talking about. But that first album was not successful and it was not something very unique. And then those two Nico Faggist uh, members came in that I still make music with. That's uh, I play with them in my second band, Alkaloid. Uh, and yeah, with those people, uh, uh, yeah, this whole German tech death machinery started, and we are still more or less the the only uh, were more or less the only band in Germany with that kind of music. It's like in yeah. f- France, it's uh, there are some bands that are pretty cool. Uh, but that 's more or less in Europe than most of the bands are from North America. a lot of canadian bands um yeah it's interesting and uh there uh since the internet made Obscura big big then, we had the opportunity like you said to tour in a lot of places it's uh, was not uh, we never played huge stadiums we we mostly played uh, uh underground death metal shows uh, and some festivals, but we could play them all around the world what made I don't know, uh, me being the, uh, a young 20-year-old bassist, that, that was an amazing experience, of course, flying to in 2011, we made a Southeast Asia tour that just, I think was still my favorite tour to this point. We played so weird places. Um, and like I always think back about that one concert we played in Surabaya in Indonesia, which was back then a place where not a lot of metal bands came to, like that's conquering the world with uh, uh, Different bands started when the internet became bigger and bigger and people used YouTube. Then later, uh, like, and Iron Maiden made this Flight 666 tour. And, like, it's, it's very normal that it's the metal bands and pop bands play in different continents. But the, the, the big, I don't know, the time when we toured back then, 2011 was the time when internet got big and the normal CD market started to, broke, uh, to break down. So, uh, yeah, we had, for example, this concert in Indonesia where we played. In front uh, of a, um, a submarine from the second world War, they hung our backdrop on the uh, submarine. <laughs> then the whole uh, stage was covered with flowers because they they thought oh, okay it's a concert they didn't know what the difference between a metal concert and a i don't know a classical concert is and then the concert uh was in an old swimming pool, so uh, we were standing like on the top, and people were uh, standing in the area where there was uh, water before. So it was very, very awkward those sceneries, and they made it the trip very unique, of course. And uh, yeah, those kind of experiences were great. And we toured through uh, Australia, Japan. Where I was uh, three or four times um, North America regularly, Europe. Um, it was amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, with with alkaloid, uh, you played one show in Egypt as a first, as the first German death metal band to ever play in Egypt. So,
1: uh, also that is very true. Um, this has also to do with the fact that uh, metal got more global in general.
0: Um, yeah, and how how was that experience for you? You know, to to go to a place like Egypt, where I well, like the metal culture, I could imagine is not as free. To You know, if you're a metalhead, you cannot live it as freely as we can do here over here in Europe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I need to tell a little story before because uh, we were also very lucky with Obscura because uh, the way that musicians normally live as a stu- uh, studio musicians, uh, it used to be like that, that you are invited into a studio and you play something there. But uh, with the internet uh, also more and like having music equipment, uh, that is way more cheap and uh, way more accessible nowadays in music software, way more productions are done. And a lot of people do it from home and they invite you as a session. Like there are not a lot, a lot of six string uh, fretless basses out there that play metal. So they often book me as a bass player and the other guys for a session work. And there was this... Uh, people uh there was this guy from egypt called nada sadik which is an artist who mm. invites a lot of different session artists uh, all around the world for his projects and he worked also with a lot of uh, musical friends from me and uh yeah he played concerts with uh, uh hannes and chris played their own guitar uh, uh on that concert also in egypt and so we decided okay cool let's bring also alkaloid uh, uh, as a support band to this concert and Abort, now aborted was also playing i can remember uh, yeah, it was a very, very <laughs> unique experience. I arrived uh, in Egypt and uh, I went to the place of Nalazadek. And the first thing that happened is was, okay, no power for the next three hours. It's just like the power system broke down. So I was sleeping a little bit to uh, fight my jet lags. And I was looking out of the window and it's like an feel like in the place of of ants it's like really you see so many people at the same time and oh look there's a fight on the street people screaming oh what's what's going on on that side it was really uh, hilarious and was uh, it in Cairo yeah in Cairo it was the concert and um it was uh, not long after all the riots in egypt so it was very unstable and we visited those typical sightseeing points and they were completely free of tourists so the uh, country was struggling at that time a lot and was politically unstable and um yeah and then, then when the concert happened it was also a super bizarre experience it was open it was a, a venue that was uh, that had had no walls, and uh, to the right we could see the Nile. So we was like <laughs> standing on stage, seeing the Nile in the darkness with all the skyscrapers being reflected in the water. It was very, uh, very unique. And then we had a lot of talks with the fans that were very excited because not a lot of bands come to Egypt, and it was unbelievable to to hear the stories that, that only for having long hair, they were beaten down by the police, putting in jail, calling faggots and uh, uh, I don't know, Satanists and hippies and uh, only for wearing metal shirts and uh, having long hair. And still those people were keep on wearing their shirts and standing to what they stand for that like there is just their music taste that I don't know, that they go to jail for. It's unbelievable. And then they, they, they come to you and talk to you you're like, oh, great that you come here. You're so amazing. And uh, I think like, what the fuck? I, I, I'm a privileged guy from Germany. We had, we had a musical education more or less for free as a child. And they think uh, like, and they, uh, uh I don't know. And they treat, uh, treat me that well. It's actually like I have way more respect for them than the other way around. It's crazy how, what what, what they were going through and what they do for the music it was they're very, very, Impressive to me, that gig, yeah.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, you know, I mean, this situation, an experience like this means a lot, you know, to the people. Yeah, but so when you left Obscura in April, um, the drummer, Sebastian Lanza, and the guitar player, Rafael Trujillo, they also did leave with you. And as you already mentioned, you guys formed a new band called Obsidious so what can you tell about uh, the new band and you know you you already mentioned that you guys are right now working on the music and so i could imagine many fans are very uh, curious and interested to what's to come so what can you say about it right now
1: uh yeah well we we cannot tell too much yet because we want to keep everything in secret so um at that point that we want to come out with all the information's logo the full lineup and those kind of things we want to have everything prepared and i don't know we we are not persons that do things with i don't know half-assed we really want to have it like the full uh, concept standing when we when we go out to the public and we are talking with different labels right now and uh really really working our asses off for music right now it's i I never spent so much time in my life for composing every time we composed for obscura uh, uh, i composed a song uh, the other guy worked a little bit on it and then it was on the record and we were happy if we had enough songs for a record it was a real struggle now it's completely different we spend so unbelievably much time for everything. And we have, uh, I, j- I checked recently, we have 18 song ideas that are more or less completed on the, on the server, which that with that kind of complex music that you don't write, like, I don't know, in a punk song on One Afternoon, it's really incredible. And uh, um, we only take a very few percentage of the songs that we work on because we need to make something new and uh, therefore, we want to put this uh, quality standard very high, and we only take what is really unique and what is not. Like, oh no, that reminds me of that by Now, fuck it, then let's do something else. <laughs> it's uh, re- we really, really put much time into it, and it's uh, I, yeah, actually we didn't. We wanted to go a little bit away from like being very virtuous and complex, just to reach more people, and because it's uh, yeah, I don't know. So that was actually our plan, but right now. Uh, since we don't have any barriers anymore, we can completely go wild and go crazy. And that's what's happening right now. It's really the songs that we have are, there are things happening that, I don't know, musically are so, I don't know, it's hard to put it in words, but it's like that complexity makes makes the uni- music very unique. There's a lot of information and a lot of little details, little, uh, our new singer always calls it uh, ear candies. Um, there in the background, we, we have pre-productions that are sounding like full productions already. It's yeah, it's I have never ever really put any time in anything else so much like this. It's uh, yeah, very demanding and uh, but very exciting. It's like the, we have now the first time that we sent out uh, uh, that we sent out the first material to record labels, and now we get the first. After a half year, the first reactions to our music that are I don't know not from our girlfriends or family that anyway give you compliments only, um, so uh, and, and they are also very enthusiastic and like the first feedback we got now is very very good and so I, I don't know it gives you very motivation uh, it's a big motivation also to keep on working on this and yeah uh,
0: next year yeah. we so next year we'll be able public. to to hear music and yeah. Hopefully also, you know, you guys will be able to go out on the road again oh yes, oh yes. with this new project. Yeah. If we talk about like making a living as a musician, actually, so this is something which was never easy, yeah. you know, or has always been hard. But then, you know, like for the last couple of years, let's, let's say 10, 15 years, the music business changed a lot due to the digitalization and then if you look at the metal scene from what i have witnessed there i would say you know it's a scene where where the fans are still very dedicated you know and they love to go mm. to shows uh, and also they they buy they still really buy the physical product but still with the many metal bands i you know i talk to friends i talk to it's still very hard to make a living just yep. by doing what you do so you know how, how was your experience with this and and how do you see the business side of of it all you know
1: uh yeah well first of all uh like an advice to every metal musicians that want that think about making a living out of this don't play that kind of complex music that we do because that is <laughs> takes three more time to practice it takes three more time to compose uh, three more time to record uh yeah so that is not the smartest way to do it in a commercial thing, but uh, <laughs> for me as a motivation, it's I love it to drive myself to limits and like for me metal is still the the most uh, like it's just the best genre for me because you I don't know can always go for the most extreme ways and there is still so much development in that music that's what i like so much like yeah. you said the fans are very conservative here and there and they buy records and they, are, they have still that feeling for for like a feeling for value of music and that's something that's really uh that's something very rare in the music scene nowadays um so i, I like that a lot so the fans are great um and you can do whatever the fuck you want the more extreme it is the, the better it, it, it is and uh, especially in my scene, people don't want to have the same record twice today. Uh, nobody wants to have Obsidian sounding like Obscura. It will be, it will sound like Obscura. As you cannot anything, you cannot do anything against it because um, more than seventy-five percent uh, uh, of the last record uh, uh, is us, is Obsidian. But still, we bring this to a new level, and I, I think people expect that also. And for us, that's a challenge and it's very exciting, and that keeps the motivation high for me to. I don't know, work my ass off for this because it's so much work and really, really needs a lot of motivation. There are a lot of down feeling moments, of course, uh, where you, I don't know, ask yourself if this is the right way or not. Uh, but yeah, um, and I, I, I don't have a hate against the digital developments because, uh, as I said before, that's what made Obscura pick that. That's what made me play in continents that I would have never traveled to uh, uh, in another musical genre, uh, and also my session work is really something that uh, is depending on on the internet. So uh, when people book me, I, I was never booked into a studio, never, not even once. But it's a regular; it's it's part of my uh, uh, yeah daily musical life to record stuff from home for people in it. Uh, I love that super much. Also uh, another case was uh, also for life gigs. I was once invited to play with a band in Lebanon. That was also something very exciting, for example. And those kind of things I only have because of the internet. So uh, without knowing it, I use this, uh, I use this um, benefits of the internet for myself. So that's also why I sometimes gave, uh, like uh, presentations and keynotes to uh, on musical schools uh, uh, about what uh, what possibilities uh, uh there are in music nowadays uh, to make money and because mostly in those i don't know musical schools where you uh, get a music degree there are mostly uh, more or less retired studio musicians from the 80s that just talk about the good old times and tell you how you be good in everything and uh, yeah but
0: they are not that they- they are not working in in the business as it is nowadays.
1: Exactly. But so they teach you how to, I don't know, learn to play like those five bass players because that's what they need in the studio. That's it's not like that anymore. The thing that counts is individuality and uh, not only in composition, but only, uh, but also as a session bass player. Uh, Yeah. So that is something that I enjoy also. I do not like playing all the time sounding like others, it's not something that is very enjoyable. So I, I really like that people give me session jobs to have my sound on it.
0: Yeah, because they want you and you can do things which nobody else would, you know.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what is great. So I, I love that aspect. And I even find it very interesting. I saw recently uh, a, a discussion about the metal scene in Corona and uh, one person says that actually it's, it's great that metal fans are so dedicated with analog products like cds and shirts but right now that doesn't help actually the metal scene is not digital at all there are no big successful metal podcasts or metal youtube channels it doesn't exist so Mm -hmm. uh it's actually right uh, very hard right now that uh, uh metal musicians are not very active online with metal so that's uh they complain about that a little bit, and that's like that's the, the downsize of that analog uh, fan fandom.
0: Okay, yeah, I find that a very
1: interesting aspect.
0: Yeah, good good one to think about. I also read that you are working on a solo album. So, what what can be expected there?
1: Yeah, well, that, uh, I gotta admit that as a lower priority because uh, um, I, I started to write a lot of uh, material already for that new Obscura album that was to come up before I uh, before uh, I left. Uh, so there is some material from there that did, also didn't fit to Obscura and uh, also that doesn't fit now to Obsidious or Alkaline, my other band. And with that material, I uh, I want to create a solo record. And I, I just, also for the very first times in my life in that Obsidious pro, uh, process, I was sitting down and writing music without having any sound goal in my head. I never said, okay, this album, the album needs still a song that is a little bit like that. I never have that in mind. Just start to write from, I don't know, complete, with a complete blank page, no, like, uh, I don't know, no, no certain goals how this has to sound or that I need to think, okay, how yeah, this probably won't fit. So there are a lot of songs that are uh, way less heavy than Obscura and that are very melodic and that don't fit anywhere else. So, uh Yeah. When I'm uh, when the concert was there for the first Obsidious album, that's the next thing I will focus on probably. Organizing all those so- stuff for the solo album.
0: Will it be instrumental? No, or no also with vocals.
1: Yeah, some instrumental things maybe, but uh, yeah, I enjoy working with vocalists also, and I. There are a few instrumental records that are interesting enough to uh, keep my attention for a whole record, and I don't want to make a record that I don't know. I skip uh, every once skips after three songs.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're obviously a metal musician, and you you already said like that metal is the perfect perfect way of expression for yourself. Mm-hmm. But uh, could you also imagine, you know? playing like all different styles of music which have nothing to do with metal
1: oh absolutely uh i mean those times when i played all other kind of genres just to get experience from my student days that's something i miss a lot actually playing good pop music playing funk music uh playing blues okay when i saw you playing with hendrik it was i was uh uh think to myself how great that would be to play a couple of songs like that it's super much fun those especially those kind of groove a slower groove oriented songs are very cool uh that's something i miss actually big. that's one of the dumb i don't know one of the the bad things about being the fretless guy in metal is you will do f- most of the time fretless in metal, so it's not so that I don't know. Sarah Connor will call me to ask uh, to ask if I play the next tour. That <laughs> won't happen. So, um, but yeah, actually, it's something I enjoy, and uh, um, yeah, that's actually it's actually a pity if I would have time for hobbies, <laughs> maybe I would start to have a band again in another show. Well, yeah.
0: right, so basically, you you are very much open to also going different ways.
1: Yeah, and that's very important. Anyway, I mean. You, how can you develop if you have not if you don't get influences from other zorists? It's uh, I don't know. Yeah, for me, I mean, as a bass player, we Rocker Prestia died recently. And it's uh, that was a, a big thing also for me. That's uh, a big influence on my playing. That I don't know. Probably a lot of other metal bass players don't have.
0: Yeah, they don't even know about. Yeah, but I mean, he, you know, he really invented his own style with all the 16th notes and funk yeah. with all the experience which you have gathered over the years you know when you mm. think of like young musicians who are right now starting out and they have they feel like they want to make music for a living mm. um, would there be any tips or recommendations you would give to them from your point of view
1: It's so hard to do it right now because I have no idea how the life of a musician will be in two years Uh, and like (laughs) where where to focus on. Uh, All I can say is focus on so many, um, I don't know, things that make you unique. That's like being unique is the one thing you should go for uh don't only try to be a good instrumentalist but also being a composer i f- find that very fulfilling also uh it's very motivating and it uh, uh i don't know it's another a mistake a lot of bass players do including me when i started out being a musician i mostly want i, I was always pissed that i'm a good bass player that uh, uh, uh that doesn't fit a place in a band uh, that didn't get a space in a good band i don't know i was always thinking like what that bassist has that good band to play in, it's unbelievable. I, I can not play better than that guy. And it was a lot of frustration. And, um, and that was very stupid. Uh, it, like the, it's always the positivity that can make a difference. If I would have said, okay, then if I don't find a good spot in a the band, then I maybe should do something on my own, make a great band. That's actually the way of thinking that you should have. And that's what I would tell the younger me, I guess, to be less pessimistic and uh, like I said before, musicians love to complain and uh, uh, business is shit and uh, I don't know there are too many bands out there Yeah, but there are not a lot of bands that sound unique It's there was never a time as a basis to sound un- more unique than right now there are so many boring basses out there and standard bass sounds that are programmed and uh, that go for the same equipment, all of them it's, it was never so easy like right now to stand out
0: yeah, I agree. And also I think playing is one one part of it and you need to have your shit together, so to speak. But uh, from all the experiences I have made, I would also say, I mean, there's lots of people who can play, you know, but uh, the personal aspect, especially when you go out on the road, you know, you go on tour and you work together oh, yeah. with other people and you are traveling for long periods of time. I think that, you know, the... The social aspect of being a good guy, being being somebody yeah. who's a uh, pleasure to be around, it's also very important, you know, just to to have your social skills together yeah, if as you, well.
1: If, if, if you want to be a a band musician, I mean, like, there are different ways to be a musician nowadays. If you have a YouTube channel and you play guitarrics of 15 seconds and that's your favorite thing to do, you don't need to be a good guy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to play, like... You're a from, I don't know, 80s, 90s, for, like from the bands that you like to play in. And uh, I totally agree. Don't, yeah. don't be a dick. But that's not only a musical thing. Just don't be a <laughs> yeah.
0: dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. and And also, I mean, for me, I would even go further, you know, by saying that I think that actually this is also connected, you know, because everybody... If you look, if you listen to somebody or look to somebody playing their instrument, it's very much connected to how they are as a person, you know. Yeah. So uh, and actually there's no way to separate those two. There might be some exceptions from it too, but but mm-hmm. also like with most people like for me the experiences I've made when I see somebody playing, you know, and I love what they play and then you get to meet the person you find out that mostly they are really cool guys, you know, very friendly, very open-minded. And in in a way they are the same way in life as they are on stage playing the instrument, you know, (laughs) I totally agree. And good
1: musicians are mostly people that are playing very emotionally and moving emotionally on stage. And those are also very often the more interesting people to talk to. Uh, Yeah. It's like, When I I go on tour, one of the things I enjoy most is connecting with the other musicians. I mean, you you go into a tour bus and there are like two or three other bands that you're with and you need to live with them for a whole month. (laughs) Um, And and that's really a problem. Like Always having a good time and musicians are always very different kind of thinking people. And that's something I love about musicianship. And that's also something I always expected when I was 15 and... People tell you, ah, but touring, you need to share the toilet with 20 other guys. It's not so so great how you think. you probably when you play every night, it's not enjoyable. No, no, it it is enjoyable. And the people that you have around you make it enjoyable. That's, yeah. it's like most, most metalheads are outsiders in school. And then they go on tour and you have like a bus full of those people that (laughs) think like you. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's a great experience to, to, to make, I mean, as you just said, right now it's very hard to predict. You know how life, mm. how the life of musicians will be mm. in one or two years from now. But let's say if you try and look into the future for yourself, mm. uh, are there any, like let's say, dreams or ideas or wishes which you would like to? realize in the future for instance is there a certain band or certain artist you would love to play with or is there something which you really like a plan an idea you have for a long time and you want to realize it
1: oh that's hard to say i mean keep on touring is already a dream now that because it's not very obvious that it will happen um I mean, we want to tour with Obsidious, but I really don't know how the live market will be in two years. Maybe only very few bands can still tour. I I really don't know. So that's a dream. Uh, I really hope that also the festivals will, I don't know, keep the size and people don't forget about how great live concerts are. Uh, Yeah. And just, of course, I I just hope that uh, Obsidious will be as successful as it can be. And right now... uh, so that it's like little things actually, like the next step I'm looking forward to. And I wouldn't do what I do if I wouldn't enjoy that most. Uh, I really, uh, I don't know. I, of course, it would be great to go on tour with Metallica or Iron Maiden, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's not my my life goal. I it's my life goal is to make cool music that I enjoy with people that I like, playing for people that I like and that can. Feel the emotions that i want to express with my music and uh yeah that's already all i want actually
0: yeah yeah sounding good to me man (laughs) yeah um so i would say you know we are now slowly approaching the end of our conversation for today so of course the guest shall have the final say and uh, is there something you would like to share with our listeners to end The conversation for today?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, thanks, Amin, for for having me and for being one of the positive persons in the music scene that, I don't know, uh, dealing with this situation creatively and positively, and I don't know, creates less uh, uh, suffering in the world with this podcast. And I don't know, being a great musician, being a great guy. And uh, yeah. For everyone else, thanks for your interest, in listening to this uh, support his uh, podcast, and uh, yeah, f- follow my social media channels if you want to uh, know what I'm doing, um, and uh, also follow Amin to his musical adventures. And uh, yeah, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you, man. You're welcome, man. Thank you as well. Uh, really great that you took t- the time to to get together with me today, and. Also, I hope we will be able to meet again in real life sometime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you guys go out... uh,
1: Without distance of 100, uh, (laughs) 1 meter 50. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and if you guys go out on the road with Obsidian, I will be coming to at least one show (laughs) to see you guys playing. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, man. Have a nice day. Stay healthy. Thank you, the same. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye, man. Bye. You have been listening to Talking Spirits Podcast episode number 18 with Linus Klausenitzer and Armin Alic. For the next week we will stay in the metal realm but change the language to German. As my guest is my old friend, German metal guitarist Stefan Weber. Stefan just recently joined the legendary metal band Rage and we had lots of fun talking about how this came about and lots of many other interesting topics. As usual, I'm very happy about you guys spreading the word about the Talking Spirits podcast and also getting in touch with me if you have an idea or there's anything you want to talk to me about. Thanks a lot once again to everybody who's supporting the Talking Spirits podcast. Have a nice Sunday and stay safe and healthy. Bye.